Good morning. Uh, welcome to Kirk of the Plains. It's good to have you with us again on this Lord's Day to, to worship Him. I'm just so thankful for the day and time in which we live that we could do this, that we could gather uh, via the internet and to worship the Lord. I know it's not ideal and not as God has designed it, but still nonetheless, I'm, I'm very thankful for it. I'm thankful that you could be here today and that our focus might be on Him and not just the circumstances of what is going on in our lives each and every day. Before we begin our time of worship this morning, though, let me just give a few announcements uh, that may help, especially those of you that may be visiting with us for the first time. It's good to have you with us. Um, but we have on our website, kotp.org, or on our YouTube channel, whichever you're viewing this from, a, a series of links of things, of resources that may be helpful during the worship service, like our worship bulletin uh, slash worship guide that gives the words to the song. We have uh, sermon sheets for kids to, to utilize as well, as well as online giving and, and a whole bunch of things. And so we hope that you might utilize those and uh, in order to help you in your worship. I will say this for those of you that are visiting with us, we'd love to hear from you. And we do have actually a guest card or, or an online welcome visitor card. And we encourage you to fill that out and send it in. I, I know what it's like. I don't like to give out my personal information as well. And so we'll seek to respect that. We won't put you on any kind of mailing list or spam you or anything, but we would like to just respond and let you know how good it is to, to have you with us. And uh, there's also a place on that card uh, for visitors or really for anyone. Uh, if you'd like us to pray for you about something specific, uh, we would like to do, I would like to do that as well. So please uh, include that on your uh, visitor card as well, uh, any prayer requests that you might have. Um, as we think about our week and our fellowship together, I know our fellowship looks way different because it's all done virtually. Uh, but here again, I'm very thankful that we could do that. Let me just give you a rundown of our schedule for the week. This is all done online in our KOTP room. And if you don't have the address for that, if you'll contact me, I'll be more than happy to uh, make sure you get that information. If you're a member of the church or regular tender, you can text me. Uh, if you're from the community, if you want to call the, the number, the church would be more than happy to, to get that information to you. Our phone number is on our website, so kotp.org, and so you don't have to worry about writing it down now. Uh, but basically on Sundays and on Wednesdays are when we gather. And on Sunday morning at 9.30, we have our children's Sunday school for elementary age kids. And then at 10.45, we have our worship service. And then after the worship service, around noonish. Time, we uh, open up our online room just for fellowship and people can stick around and talk for as long as they'd like to do that. And then beginning this week, we're, we're starting something new. We're restarting our adult Sunday school class. Uh, it's youth and adults. And so we hope that you might join us today at 3 p.m. online. And um, we'll be uh, picking up where we left off on uh, the study of redemption and, and how that applies to the life of the believer. So we hope that you can be part of that. And then on Wednesday nights, we'll be continuing on our video series. Um, on this week, we'll be looking at Blessed by God and particularly Numbers 6, 22 through 27. A very common benediction that's used in the church, uh, but because it's common, we may not really stop and think about what that means, but we invite you to watch that video from Ligonier Ministries and then uh, join us at 7.30 on Wednesday nights, and then we'll have a time of prayer afterwards. So uh, we just wanted to let you know about those things so you could participate not only in our worship today, 
but also in the fellowship of the body as well. And we just encourage you to continue to reach out to one another through text and Facebook, uh, just to minister, exhort, encourage one another. Um, I've heard so many stories of people that have been doing that and using digital means, and it's just a, a great way to continue to be the church. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in doing that. Well, this morning, as we turn our focus to worship, I want to invite you uh, to have just a, a moment of silence. I know there's many things that's been going on in various people's lives, and, and it's just good for us just to sort of clear our minds of those things and uh, turn our focus on the Lord. So let's just take a moment to, to bow before him this morning. Amen. I want to invite you at this time to stand where you are and let us hear God's call to worship to us from Psalm 100. Hear now God's word. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's uh, do exactly that this morning. Let us lift our voices and sing Psalm 100a. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and we lift our voices with all of creation to rejoice in your goodness and your grace. We thank you, God, for your great and your mighty works and for the gifts and grace that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you that you have loved us so much that you have sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. And thank you that by faith you have removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, for all who will trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, we pray that our lives would be a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you. 
for you alone are worthy of all praise and worship. It is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let us uh, continue to affirm our faith this morning. And as we've been doing this month, we're using the Apostles' Creed to do that. It's just good for us to be reminded who God is. And kids, I hope that you're beginning to memorize this creed. It's something that we will be using from time to time. And so uh, if, you, if you've been struggling, hang in there, kids, and, and we'll learn this together. So let me ask you this morning, Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Please take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and we'll continue in our reading of the, the story of Israel in the book of Exodus, as we look at Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he came to the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Thus sends a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we thank you that your mercy is higher than the heavens, that it is wider than even our wanderings and deeper than all of our sin. God, as we heard last week how Christ had passed through the heavens 
to give us access to the throne room of grace. We thank you, O oh God, that, that you pour out your mercy and your grace upon your people. But Lord, forgive us for our carelessness. God, forgive us when we act so self-sufficiently and we do not cry out to you in prayer. And yet, Lord, instead, we just seek to, to deal with our problems the best way that we know how. God, there's a sense of, of self-sufficiency, a self of independence, oftentimes in our own hearts, God, that, that plagues us that we wish was not there. And so, Lord, forgive our, our careless, not only our careless words and our careless deeds, but even the attitudes of our hearts and our carelessness towards your purposes. God, even our refusal to think about the needs of others and, and seek to relieve the suffering of those around us. Instead, God, so often it's easy for us to be consumed with our, our own things that we're dealing with, our own schedules, our own households, our own finances, our, our, our own work. And Lord, it's not that we really don't care about people, we just don't think about them. But forgive us, God, for our callousness. Forgive us for our envy of those who have more than we have and our obsession with trying to create the life that we want, or maybe a life of constant pleasure, trying to, Lord, um, force some kind of, of normalness in our lives rather than trusting you in these uncertain times, to know, God, that, that even in these times that you were good and that we could rest in you. Oh, Father, we pray that you would give us hearts for your word. Forgive us when we can go maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe months, Lord, and not really open your word other than when we gather together to worship you on the Lord's day. Forgive us, God, for the neglect of these things. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our sin, for the callousness of our hearts. Help us to change our way of life so that we may desire what is good and love what you love and do what you command. It is in Jesus Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. As we come to the Lord, we know that he is the God who, who hears the prayers of his people, especially as we come with repentant hearts asking for forgiveness. And he gives the assurance of his pardon in his word and today we're reading from Jeremiah 33 8 where we read I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me amen what what good news that we can come to the Lord not because of what we had done but because of his gracious love for his people let us uh, stand once again and sing not what my hands have done, number 435.
Amen. Remain standing, if you would, and take your Bibles for our New Testament reading in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 19, and looking at verse 16. Very familiar story with a rich man. Hear now God's word. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will you have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Let's pray. Oh, sweet, loving Jesus. How often we forget that it's because of you that we live. Lord, it's because of you that we have not only a life to look forward to in eternity, but God, that we can live a different life now here upon this earth. You have made us from the very dust that you created. You have made us in your image. You have breathed life into us. We thank you today for our lives and we pray that you would continue to sustain us each and every day. We pray that as you walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that you might be present with us today, that we might fix our eyes upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, as we come this morning, we come to you to lift up our prayers. God, we look to you as our hope in this time of pandemic. We thank you, Lord, that you preserve us even in these times. We thank you, Lord, for those 
that still have jobs. We thank you, Lord, for those that have income to be able to provide for their family, even many that are laid off at this time. Father, we, we do pray for our government officials. We pray for wisdom. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide them in terms of wisdom to know when to open states. Lord, give us patience with one another um, as, as, we, um, as these things actually come about and happen. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us in our times of, of this enduring circumstance. God, it has been a challenge for many, I know. And Lord, even I must confess that uh, yeah, I have seen the idols of my own heart raise their ugly heads. And I just want to thank you, God, for your wonderful grace to reveal these things. And pray that you would help us, Lord, as, as we are being challenged. And sometimes, God, being challenged in ways that we don't even understand why. Sometimes we act a certain way or we feel a certain way and we can't define it. But I pray, Lord, that in those times that we could trust your grace. I pray for the kids in our congregation, Lord. I can only imagine how difficult this must be on them and uh, just the uncertainty and the differences in, in their lifestyle. And just pray for your grace upon them, their patience with their brothers and sisters as, as they are struggling. Lord, for strength for their parents as they seek to, to love their kids and teach and discipline them in the Lord. Father, we pray for those who are teachers and students. I know this is a very difficult time and their semesters look very different than what they planned. But pray that even in this time that you would give them the focus and the strength and help them to get their work done. We pray for teachers for wisdom to know how to motivate students and, and encourage them in their studies as well. Uh, Lord, we do pray that even um, though we, we have a little bit better handle on the circumstances that we are in, Lord, we still don't know what the future holds. We don't know um, whether businesses will stay open or closed, whether jobs will be had or not. Uh, Lord, what will this mean for financial investments? There's all these things, God, that can cause us worry. But I pray that you would help us to trust in you, to know that you are God and that you provide everything and that you can provide in a way, God, that is beyond our comprehension. And so help us to rest, God, not in the things that we see and the things that we know, but in the one who is sovereignly, lovingly over all things. Help us to rest in you and may we live, God, for your glory. Your word tells us, O Lord, to ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And we do exactly that this morning, Lord. But also your word goes on and says that as we worship you to bring an offering and come into your courts. And so this morning, Lord, as we bring our tithes and our offerings to you, we pray that you would receive them. Lord, that you would know that they are uh, a worship to you and pray that you might use them, God, for the furthering of your kingdom and for the glory of your name. We thank you, O Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand uh, once again and let us uh, lift up our voices in praise as we sing the Gloria Patri together. Mm -hmm. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for the word that you have given to us. God, you know that we need to hear from you. Uh, it, it is so easy, Lord, for us uh, to, to feel weak and strong at the same time. And Lord, sometimes in, in that strength, we, we feel more capable than we really are. And so we pray that you would give us a, a, a attention this morning, but pray for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, Lord, to set us free, to set us free to walk in, in the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, to know you as you are. Lord, we pray that you would lift the burdens uh, off our hearts, even though, God, if we might go through difficult circumstances, Lord, we know that we don't have to carry those burdens ourselves. And so help us to cast those upon you. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, my family and I uh, just finished a, a video series by Ligonier Ministries on the life of Samson, taught by Bob Godfrey. And Dr. Godfrey was talking about Samson's life from Hebrews chapter 11, where he is mentioned. And Dr. Godfrey was giving some explanation about the, the background of the book of Hebrews, which we've talked about a lot already in our series, but I won't rehash that, but just things like how this was written to Jewish Christians who were struggling in their faith. Many have been put in prison or persecuted or things like that. But then Dr. Godfrey went on and he said, but, but think about the difference between Judaism and Christianity. And that'll help you to understand maybe some of the struggles that these Christians had. He said, if you think about Judaism, Judaism was a well-established religion. It had been around for hundreds and thousands of, of years. And it was a, in a, uh, an amazing religion, as a matter of fact, so much so that the Roman Empire made provision that allowed the Jews to continue to worship even though they occupied uh, the Jewish land. And so there was, uh, in one sense, a, a, I don't know if there's a respect, but there was an allowance for that religion to continue on because it had been so well established. But it was also an impressive religion. If you think about it with the temple, uh, which was magnificent. I mean, if you had stood on the Mount of Olives uh, looking across the Kidron Valley down into Jerusalem, you would have been able to pick out the temple because it stood out amongst all the other buildings. And not only that, but as a worship that was very sensory oriented, you could hear the, the, the animals that were about to be sacrificed or uh, you could smell the fire. You could see the priests come out in all of this garb which it would have significance for every piece of clothing and everything that he wore uh, meant something uh, for the people as they worshiped the Lord. And yet then now you're talking about a people who once belonged to that, who now belong to this tiny small sect called Christianity that was actually pretty new. And, uh, and they didn't have all the, the pomp and circumstance. Instead, their focus was the preaching of the word of God and standing on the promises of God. And so you can understand as, as these Jewish Christians were wrestling in their faith and they're thinking, look, we have this and all we have is difficulty. Why would we maybe not return to that? You can understand why it was so needful for the writer of Hebrews to explain to them, say, I know this looks fantastic. I know if you look at the Jewish religion with all of its outward stuff, it looks amazing, but the reality is that's just a shadow, actually, of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. 
not only what he has done in the past on the cross, but even what he is still doing today, even right now. So let me explain that to you. So it's important for them to hear that. But it's important for us as Christians to hear that as, as well. Because, you know, we don't live in a day and time where people talk in terms of temples and sacrifices and, and high priest and, and things like that. We're more of a rugged individual country, you know, who we hear the gospel. Maybe the Lord convicts us of our, the Lord does convict us of our sins. We, we repent. We ask for his forgiveness and we come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. But, but oftentimes, you know, we don't always understand the, the fullness of what it is that God has shown us in his word about who he is and, and how we need to live. And so it's important that we hear this. I mean, to understand that we serve a holy God, a holy God that is perfect, that is majestic, that is righteous in, in every way. And yet here we are as people who are born into sin how can we have any kind of relationship with such a God? Uh, because everything that we stand for in our sinfulness is in rebellion to who God is. And so therefore, we need a mediator. We need a priest. We need a high priest who can intercede on, on our behalf. And I know that even as Christians, we intellectually know this, but really grasp what it is that Christ has done for us. And, and as we study the book of Hebrews, it's my prayer that this study would form and shape the contour of our lives, that it would be something that would be defining in not only what we believe, but also in how we live as well. I know for me, it's, it's challenged me um, for a number of years. Uh, the passage that we studied just this past week about Christ um, providing the way into the throne room of grace was, was something that had really struck me. And it really changed the way I prayed. It, it changed the way of, of uh, not only how I prayed, but also how I prayed for others as well. I pray for myself, but I pray for my family, for my extended family, and for you as my church family as well. I pray for you on a regular basis as, as I think about that, that as we face the temptations every day, as you get up, I'm praying for you that as Satan, you encounter Satan and the temptations, as you, uh, the desires of your heart, the sin that seeks to master you, that you can put that sin to death, that you won't just try to do these things in and of your own strength, that as you encounter difficulties in your days, that you won't just try to figure it out the best way that you know how, but instead that you will turn to your high priest who loves you, that you will rely upon his grace and, and upon his mercy. And so, you know, as we go through this book, I know while some of the things may sound strange, they have real life application that I want us to continue to pay attention to. And, and we're going to continue to look at Christ as our high priest. He's, he's already, the author has already mentioned this a time or two in our text, but uh, as we get into chapter seven, this is going to be a main theme of the book of Hebrews. And, and, and so we'll give more and more attention to this topic. But, but this morning as we look at this, what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that Jesus is a more perfect high priest. He is our perfect high priest, more perfect than even Aaron himself. And, and I know for us, we may go, okay, that's, that's fine. But for these early Jewish Christians, that would have been amazing because Israel could trace the succession 
of the high priest all the way back to Aaron. The priesthood was a big deal in the Jewish community. And so this morning, really what the author here is seeking to show us is just two things. First of all, he wants us to look at the old covenant Jewish high priest and the requirements that were required for a person to be a priest. And then he wants us to see that Jesus has met those requirements. Actually, he's more than met those requirements. He has exceeded those requirements. So let's look at these two points today. Uh, as, we, as we look at the Jewish high priest, he, he opens by saying that every high priest is chosen from among men. That literally means out of men. It's a statement that really points back to uh, the, uh, the original call that, that Aaron received when God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1, he said, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. You see, only a man can represent a man before the Lord not an angel, not any other creatures, uh, no one else, only a man. You might think, well, an angel might be actually a good go-between between man and God because the angels live in heaven, they're heavenly beings, and yet they're created beings, and so they would understand that dynamic. But the Lord says, no, only a man could represent God's people and could stand in their place. And and at the same time, while this priest was out of, had the solidarity with his fellow men of the nation of Israel, he was also distinct from them too as well, because he had to be from the line or the lineage of Aaron and who was from the tribe of Levi. And, and even his um, work in the temple every day would have been a reminder of how different he is from his fellow uh, Hebrew. Uh, he could go into places in the temple that no one else could go. He could utilize the, the sacred things in ways that no one else could do. Um, as a matter of fact, if any other uh, man wanted to approach God or any other person wanted to approach God, they could only do so if they went through the priest. And so the priest was ordinary. He was out of he, uh, the nation of Israel, but he was also very unique. But we also read in verse one that he was appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. The priests were able to stand as representatives through the acts of sacrifices. As a matter of fact, he mentions that, the sacrifices that the priests would offer on behalf of the people. And, and there were many priests, I think you have to understand that, there were many priests, as a matter of fact, there were a rotation that, in which you would serve on certain times, and uh, we, we see that in uh, John's life in the New Testament. But, um, you know, he would they would serve on a rotation, but there was only one high priest. And, I, and that's what the author is really referring to here, is the work of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And we talked about that last week, about how once a year the high priest would go and offer a sacrifice, he would take the blood of that sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle that on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant, on, on behalf of the people of Israel. He alone made the single most important sacrifice of, of the year for the entire nation of Israel. And as he did that, he served uh, the people as their mediator. He was the go-between because we read in the Old Testament that without blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. 
And so that high priest would go and he would offer that blood. He would be that mediator. You know, of course, a mediator is one who brings two parties together through reconciliation. You know, we might think of that in terms of business. You know, two people that are entered into a contract and they can't see eye to eye. And so they need a third person to come in and help them to agree. But in the Bible, the biblical concept is to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. It's not just to get the two together, but it's how can sinful man approach a holy God? And we read, though, that while this priest was so special, uh, he, was, he was ordinary in the sense that he was from man, he was set apart, he offered the sacrifices, but we also read that he was just a person himself. Uh, as a matter of fact, in verse 2, we read, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, the weakness that he mentions here is the sins of the priest himself. He, because he is a person, because he is a man, he understands sin. And so, therefore, he can deal gently with the ignorant and, and the wayward. You know, he, he understands the, the struggle of the common man because he wrestles with the same things. He's tempted in the same way, with the same thoughts and the same actions and the same attitudes. And so it's not like you can come to that priest and tell him something that's going to shock him, you know, because he understands that. But even though there, he is understanding towards those and deals gently with those who are ignorant and wayward, that knowledge does not lead the high priest to overlook sin. In, in any way, or to react in a condescending, hostile way towards other people. So there's that great balance. And, you know, we see that when someone is truly aware of their sin and they are repentant of that sin, then they are able to deal gently with the sin of others. But we've also all saw, seen the opposite as well. Maybe someone who is harsh and judgmental and, and their reaction is that way towards the sin of other people. Well, usually those people have lost an awareness of their own spiritual need, and that's why they act the way that they do. But anyways, the, the priest, uh, or the high priest, excuse me, uh, needed to have their sins forgiven. So as they prepared to come and to be the mediator for the people of God, they had to first in their own weakness and in their own suffering, they had to come before the Lord to make sure that their sins were, were taken care of. And so, as we see here in our text, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves as well. As a matter of fact, the priest would isolate, the high priest would isolate himself a week before the day of Yom Kippur or the day of atonement. And, and he would have to um, be in the priest's quarters inside the temple gates. And, and during that time, there, he would go through these different cleansings and where he might normally just have to cleanse his hands or his feet, he had to take a full bath and uh, to show that cleansing. And then he had to put his clothes on just a certain way. And then he had to uh, go before the Lord in the morning on the day of Yom Kippur and he had to offer a bull for his own sins and the sins of his people. We see that in Leviticus 16. And, and not only that, but then he would have to put his hands on that bull and he would have to confess his sins to remind him of, of, his, of his inherent natural sinfulness. And so there's this, this, this suffering, this weakness that the high priest had to suffer in order to be a mediator for his people. But then finally, we see a requirement in verse 4 that the high priest had to be called by God just 
as Aaron was called. You know, in verse 1, we see that idea of chosen from among men, appointed. All of these terms are really passive terms, showing us that, that this was an office that someone didn't seek out. They didn't say, hey, I want to be a priest, or I'll serve as the high priest. You know, but it was something where God called them to do that. And so, therefore, this office was one of humility and of service. And so, it wasn't something where men sought to do this. Now, I say that, but that's probably not totally true because there are examples where God raised up a man and anointed him to serve in a particular position, uh, whether that be Moses in the wilderness and or Aaron as, as the high priest. And yet there were others like Korah who, who claimed that Moses and Aaron had merely appointed themselves as the leaders over Israel. And they're like, and I can do better than you do. And God showed him that that was not the case by causing the earth to open up and swallow Korah and 250 of his followers. But, but we see that in other examples uh, in Scripture, and I'll, I'll let you look those up for yourself. But according to the Bible, no person worthy to be a priest ever sought the job for himself or volunteered for that position. God appointed them. He called them to that position. And he did so because of his choosing, not because they looked good on the outside or they were very talented. You know, we see examples where the Lord, like with King David, you know, his older brother seemed much more competent from a worldly external perspective. And yet God says, no, David is a man after my own heart. And, and he chose David because it pleased him to do so. So only those appointed by God um, are ones that could serve as, as a priest. Only they could come in and give those offerings. So we see, as you look at the Old Testament priests, even though we didn't grow up Jewish and we didn't maybe know as much about that, you very clearly can get a sense in which there's, there's a great respect for the priesthood. They were a very important part of the Jewish life. That as, as the high priest, as he had written on his turban, holy to the Lord was, was the high priest. He was a, uh, in solidarity with the people of Israel, and yet he was distinct from them so that he could stand before a holy God on their behalf. And at the same time, he represented them with sympathy and for care. He dealt gently with them in regards to their sin. But, but God created that position of, of the high priest for the specific purpose to serve as a picture of the great high priest who was to come. And the author from the Hebrews says, Jesus is him. Jesus is the great high priest. And, and so for Jesus to, to be that, he had to meet those qualifications. And the first thing we see in verse 5 is, is that Christ did meet the qualifications of being appointed by God as the great high priest. And then the author quotes Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. Uh, and in both of those psalms, those are messianic psalms. So they're looking forward to the Messiah that was to come. And uh, in Psalm 2, it's a, the quote he gives us from Psalm 2, verse 7. And Psalm 2 is very familiar. It starts out, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Okay, and so the nations are being rebellious against God and against his anointed. But he says in verse 7, 
I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And it is his son that he makes as the king. And so as, as we come to this, we see that, um, that this is not only the son of David and, and the line of David as a descendant of David, but he is the son of God, who is the Messiah that is comes and who will rule over all things and who dispels all rebellion. But Psalm 10, or excuse me, 110, when you put that together with Psalm 2, you see some overlap because Psalm 110 really begins where Psalm 102 was. Uh, Psalm 110 verses 1 and 2 begins with Christ being enthroned. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. God has established his, his king over Israel. But what's interesting is in verse 4 of Psalm 110, he informs us that the Messiah will also be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. We read, the Lord has sworn and not changed his mind. In other words, God is the one who has established the Messiah as the priest. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not gonna say a lot about Melchizedek because when we come to chapter seven of Hebrews, we're gonna be talking a lot about Melchizedek and stuff, but let me just give you uh, just a little bit of background about him. The Bible really doesn't say a lot about Melchizedek. He really sort of comes on the scene in Genesis 14 where Abram uh, had his son, or his son, his nephew Lot captured by raiders. And so Abram goes after him. And he, he not only reclaims him and all the other people that he lost, but all the possessions. And as he's coming back, uh, Abram encounters this king, the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem. And Abram gives him a tenth of everything he has because this king is not only a king, but also he is also a priest of the Most High, we read in Genesis 14.8. So we see here with Melchizedek, something that we don't see in Aaron's line of priesthood, that he is both a king, but he is also a priest. And, and that's what we know about Christ. The, the reason the author of Hebrews refers back to Melchizedek is his dual role as both king and priest. And he wants us to see that Jesus, the son, is both king and priest by the appointment of God. And he will occupy these two positions forever. So not only does Jesus give us the promise, he is the priest that gives us access to God, but he has the power to preserve us in our faith, which is what not only the Hebrews needed to hear, but we need to hear as well, that Jesus is the, the mighty one. Jesus has made a perfect atonement and God has accepted that perfect sacrifice. There's, there's no chance that God will reject the work of Christ as our great high priest. Therefore, those for whom the sacrifice was made are eternally secure in their position with God. You see, the believer's place in heaven is as secure as Christ's place in heaven. Did you hear that? That the believer's place in heaven is as secure as Christ's place in heaven because Jesus is our king priest. He is the one who rules over all none. No one can snatch us from his hands. And so as, as John Piper reminds us, he goes, this should give us great confidence 
as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, when we're struggling and tempted to fear and to doubt, when we face temptations and, and accusations, Piper goes on and he says, do you want to become an oak tree saint or a cattail saint? And you think of the cattails where I grew up in the farmland of Indiana, you'd have cattails in the farm ponds. There'd just be this weed that would grow up and, and have brown top on it, just sway in the wind everywhere. But an oak tree was, was firm. And, and so where are we going to stand? Well, not only was Christ called by God to be this priest king, but also we see that in the same way that the Jewish high priest knew his sin and underwent ritual cleansing in order to represent his people before the Lord with sacrifices and offerings, Jesus also suffered in his role as the great high priest. Look at verses seven and eight. He goes, in the days of his flesh, that is when Jesus was incarnate, when he was a man, uh, when he first became man, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Um, that whole idea of Christ crying out with loud cries and tears, you know, probably brings to mind the Garden of Gethsemane, especially as he goes on, he says, to, he prayed to him who was able to save him from death. And, uh, and we know that Christ suffered greatly in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the Bible describes it as great, that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled, that Jesus said, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death, that he was in agony and, and he, his sweat became like great drops of blood. And so as Christ is, is crying out as the high priest for his people, he's, he's not crying out merely because of the physical horrors of crucifixion. I think that's how people oftentimes take this, that, that Christ doesn't want to die. And so that's why he is in great agony. Um, but I would suggest to you that he was not merely facing death, but he was facing what the Bible calls the second death. That is uh, the punishment for sin. That is where God pours out his hot white wrath upon the sin of humanity and where the, the the high priest would make cleansing for his own sin jesus was preparing to pay the sins for those who were his people he knew that a separation from god was coming as he made atonement for their sin and so as paul writes that god made him that is jesus to be sin who knew no sin and so he cries out to God in, in anguish. And he cries out to the one who is able to save him from death. And uh, some might take this to mean that Jesus desired to escape the cross and the grave. But the reality is, is that Jesus knew the Father's plan and he desired to do his will. As a matter of fact, he would say, Lord, take this cup, but your will be done. You know, in John 12, 27, we read that Jesus knew that his death was for the purpose in which he came into the world. That's why he came. And so he wasn't going to escape it. So Jesus didn't pray in order to escape death somehow, but rather he prayed in order to be saved out of death through the resurrection. In other words, he wasn't praying to be saved from death, but out of death. When he died, when he was separated from the Father, he wanted to be raised again. And so Jesus' prayer to be saved from death was a prayer to be raised from the grave. And we read in Acts 2, 24, how God answered the prayer of the Son. 
we read that God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, the father wasn't deaf to the prayer of his son um, as he cried out. He, he heard and he answered the son's prayers, we see here, because of his reverence. Now, a good way to think of his reverence is in terms of his awe, his devotion, his submission. And so the father heard the son because Jesus feared God and because he totally submitted his will to his father's will. And as a result, we read in verse eight that Jesus learned obedience to God through what he suffered. Now, this is not implying that Jesus was disobedient at one point in time, and now he learned to be obedient because we're told in, in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was without sin. So he wasn't disobedient. What, what he means is as Jesus experienced the trials that's associated with human existence, he learned how to obey his Father in those things. He, he was obedient to the Lord. Suffering taught Jesus how to submit to his, to his will, to the Father's will. And that's what suffering does for us as well. And I think that's sometimes why suffering is so difficult. It's, it's not just the circumstances that we go through that makes suffering so difficult, but it's also the fact that we must uh, resign ourselves to what God wants. We give over what we think ought to be done and, and just give ourselves to the Lord. Well, the cross uh, for Jesus meant great agony and great suffering, but it's interesting that he remained resolute in his willingness to be obedient, even obedient to the point of death, as Paul talks about in Philippians 2, verse 8. And, and so by faithfully enduring the suffering ordained by the Father's plan to redeem sinners, through his own blood, Jesus learned that obedience. He, he uh, manifests that obedience. But verse nine tells us that Jesus was also perfected through his suffering. Jesus wasn't uh, made perfect in the sense that he was somehow impoverished and, and then now he's improved, he's gotten better, he's, he's perfect. Rather, he was made perfect in the sense that learning obedience through suffering was a prerequisite for becoming a qualified and sufficient high priest. He, he completed the task that God gave him to do. That word perfect can mean mature, it can be complete, it can mean finished, and Christ completed the mission that he was sent to do. And in being made perfect in, in completing that through the suffering of his death, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. Don't miss that word eternal. Our salvation is not fleeting, it's not flippant, but what Christ purchased for us was for all eternity. Christ is the source of our salvation, is really synonymous with Christ being the founder or the author of our salvation. And so the eternal salvation that Jesus pioneers is only granted for all who obey him. And it's, it's a, I like how one uh, pastor put it, he goes, it's fitting that the one who learns obedience through what he suffered, that is Jesus, would stand as the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. Now, this doesn't mean somehow that we earn our salvation or through our works we somehow gain favor with God. Of course, he, he's saying that as we trust in him, as we have salvation in, in him, 
as we rest in his promises, as we trust him as our high priest, we look to him for the strength, for the grace, for the mercy to walk in obedience. So it's as God is, is working in us. The, the, and so the author of Hebrews is really coming back to this major theme that he's saying uh, once again, encouraging his people to obey Jesus and not to abandon the faith. But the only way to obey Christ is if we look to him daily as our high priest. And I, I think J.C. Ryle has put it the best. And I wanna just close with this as we, as we think about Christ as our high priest and what this means for our day-to-day -day lives. He said, if Christ is really the priest of our souls, then let us use him regularly and keep back nothing from him. In other words, utilize Christ each and every day. Don't, don't hold back anything from him. It is a sorrowful fact that many believers enjoy the gospel far less than they ought to for lack of boldness in using the high priestly office of Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't understand the gospel. We don't utilize it to its fullness. It'd be like having some powerful weapon and yet only utilizing a little bit of that power. He said, these kind of Christians go on mourning and weeping along the way to heaven perplexing themselves by pouring over their infirmities and sins and carrying 10 times as much weight on their backs as Christ ever met them to bear. You know that even as, as, as we don't utilize Christ, what we're doing is, is we're struggling with our sins, we're perplexing, we're wrestling, we're having great difficulties, we're feeling the weight and the burdens of this world, and we were never intended to carry those things. We were to cast those cares upon Him. He said, ignorance, sad ignorance, is too often the simple account of the condition of these people. They think only of the death of Christ and not of the life of Christ. They think of his finished work on the cross, but forget his priestly intercession or his priestly prayers. If this be our case, let us turn over a new leaf and change our plan this very day let us think of Christ as a loving friend to whom we go morning, noon, and night and get relief from him every day. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Let us live the life of faith in the Son of God and hold communion with him continually. Let us use him every morning as a fountain of grace and help and drink freely from that fountain. Let us use him every evening as a fountain of absolution and refreshment. In other words, let us come to God at the end of each day asking for forgiveness for the sins that we have committed that day. And let us be refreshed and draw out of him living waters. He that tries this plan will find it for the health of his soul. He who does this will find his soul strengthened and healthy. How often do we seek to try to live the Christian life the best way we have, when in reality God has given us a great high priest, a high priest who has not only fulfilled the requirements of the Old Testament priest, but even exceeding them, and who sits in the throne in heaven on our behalf. Let's bow our heads this morning for a time of silence as we meditate upon God's word this morning.
Jesus, we thank you that you are our high priest. And as we come today, that we are not alone, that we have one who is not only greater than us, but one who has been sent by God himself to be our mediator on our behalf, one who is our strength, one who is our guide. Lord, in these times of testing, these times of trials, in the midst of this pandemic, some of us have been pushed to, to very difficult places. And Lord, we have done the best way we know how to cope. But Lord, I pray instead that we would turn to you. God, I pray that we would find strength in you, that our souls would be refreshed and renewed. So Lord, please call us by your Holy Spirit all throughout the day to come to you. Lord, bring to mind much this week, this sermon, to know that we are not alone. Father, I pray for any that might be listening who are not Christians, those who, who um, have never ever confessed that they believe in Jesus Christ. But Lord, I pray if you are speaking to their hearts that they would know that this forgiveness is for them as well, that this mediator is for them, and that they would acknowledge their sin, their rebellion against you, their self-sufficiency, that God, that they would ask you for forgiveness, knowing that you are the God who truly forgives, who has provided the only perfect mediator, and that God, that they would receive the not only the forgiveness of their sins, but the eternal life that comes only through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Take your song sheets or, or your, your Psalter hymnals, if you would, and, and turn to number 517, and let us sing, I Know Whom I Have Believed. Baby. 
now God's uh, blessing, his benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly home.